Good evening and welcome to Politically Correct. With me, your host, Wisdom DeCosta, for the next hour on River Radio. This evening, we're going to introduce you to a new concept which should have a critical role in the future of democracy. But what do you mean by democracy? Yes, democracy in earnings, in ownership. And even democracy in political representation and accountability. Joining us will be Dr. Kapil Amarasinghe, an A&E consultant and crypto expert, something of a polymath. All here in the next hour on Politically Correct, here to entertain, inform and empower you. On River Radio, the voice of the Thames Valley. So I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Kapil Amarasinghe. medicine doctor who's been practicing since 2008. In 2010, he was involved in multiple technology startups. And during 2016, he made the choice to place a significant amount of investments in cryptocurrency. So Dr. Kapil Amarasinghe will be our expert for the day and indeed our next show. Kapil, if I may call you Kapil, welcome to the show. Hi, Wisdom. How's it going? It's going well. I'm really excited to hear about the, the things you want to talk about, which is including not just who you are and where you came from. And you've got an interesting background, uh, but also talking about crypto, your background and expertise is in this field of medicine, but you've moved into crypto. You've made some money there and you want to share these principles, but there's something bigger going on with crypto and blockchain, which has the potential to change the world for good or not for good. And it's something we need to understand. Yes, I completely agree. It's it's very much a potential double-edged sword. I just like to clarify that I'm still actively practicing medicine and I actually now do uh, consultant level work in some parts of the UK, such as the West Midlands, for example. So I very much have my hand both within the realms of finance in relation to cryptocurrency, but also actively within the field of emergency medicine. And I enjoy and have found the right balance between both. Cryptocurrencies are a field that interests me greatly. I've been aware of Bitcoin since 2012. I'd actually set aside mentally when I first come across it, something had sort of clicked within my heart and my head, something had intuited when I'd read about it. I was like, hmm, this has a lot of potential. It was the idea of a deflationary currency. And when I sort of looked through the spec and how it worked, I was like, this has the potential to do this. And I said, oh, better. But he's just showing me a steep graph going upwards in terms of your ability or its ability to appreciate in value. And obviously the ability of individuals to ride that curve to increase their own personal value. But if I can sort of get get back just a a moment, tell us more about yourself. Where are you from and where do you live? So I currently live in the East Midlands. I'm based in the Leicestershire region. I hold substantive post over in Derby. So if you ever come to an emergency department on certain days of the week, you'll see me there. And if you go to other days, you might see me in other places. I grew up in Milton Keynes. I am of Sri Lankan heritage. My parents sort of came over my dad in the late 70s and my mum in the very early 80s. And I sort of spent my youth growing up in Milton Keynes. I was very much sheltered from the difficulties that my parents had growing up. And so we weren't financially well to do, but there was a very strong focus growing up on my education and indeed that of my siblings as well. I was very fortunate to get a scholarship to a, to a public school. And that again helped. It was odd not coming from a financially privileged background, schooling in a place where many of my of my fellow peoples were in a financially privileged background. When I left 
a school, I was again, very fortunate to get a place at medical school. So I attended a medical school in London for six years before graduating. And in that time, I'd accrued some savings. So following my initial graduation, I spent a few years wandering and working around the entire of the UK. So I've probably worked in about 30 different hospitals. And I'd done that as a locum. Because of my upbringing, I developed a certain degree of, uh, I call it financial paranoia, but perhaps another better way of putting it is planning ahead for a rainy day. So I was very very careful about making sure I'd save money. I am always preparing for the worst, anticipating the best. And having grown in relative poverty, uh, my parents were on benefits. We were struggling to pay TV license. We were struggling with bills, petrol, all kinds of things. Growing up in that environment, you become cautious. You know that everything is fragile. You know that everything can go away at any minute. You know that especially when you work in emergency medicine for a few years, you realize that emergencies can come from anywhere at any time, affect anybody and do anything. So you don't take anything for granted. If, if anything, working in this profession, you take less and less for granted with every passing day. It sounds as like the paranoia which has arisen from your lack of stability coming as an immigrant into this country and your, the great sacrifices that your parents have made to actually help you with your education have been exacerbated by your role as an emergency doctor, whereas, as you rightly say, we're all just one moment, one paycheck away from being on the streets or even worse than that. Exactly. We are in very, we are always in vulnerable times. I'm fascinated by your parents because your parents sound as if, although they've come to England, they made some sacrifices for you and your family financially. Actually, they're very able individuals. Your father, I believe, is an ambassador. Yeah. So when he first came to the UK, he did so on a student visa. He got his PhD at the Open University. So he, it had taken him about 10 years to get that PhD. So it's quite a long slog. And during that time, he'd been working odd jobs, security, all sorts of things. After that, he started doing consultancy. And then because of the consultancy work he'd done, and he was very fortunate to have certain networks that he'd then built up, which allowed him to get a post in Sri Lanka, where, where he'd essentially grown up and he'd become the chairman of a board of fisheries. He excelled at that post. And so this is, I'm trying to think, probably late 40s. So he, he didn't really find his success until his late 40s. He didn't start finding success till his late 40s anyway. And he'd been had a real struggle through his 30s. So it was about 30 when he came to the UK or near enough to 30 and then that 10 year period of educating himself. And then it was following that, that he started finding his success. So he'd essentially gone to Sri Lanka, had taken on this post after net doing networking and consultancy. And from there he'd excelled to the point where he'd been eyeballed and nominated for the role of an ambassador post. So he'd actually served as the Sri Lankan ambassador to Vietnam for I think five years. And he'd done really well at that post as well. And I think, yeah, I think it's interesting in that, that that trajectory. It doesn't sound like a normal story, and it's it's not. But again, it goes back to the focus on education and depth of education and breadth of education, and then the willingness to engage with people using that education to help others and to learn from others and to help build systems. That's what he did. That's what I'm doing now. And I feel that reflects on his success in many ways, ongoing as well. I love the way, and this is just my perspective also as a fellow immigrant, to the way that 
England, Britain has given us these opportunities and we've learned and grown through it. And now we're adding that value back into the UK, into society here. I think that's that's very profound. And I want you listeners just to know that it's, it, immigration is has its positive side. And many of us are really happy to give back to you because you gave to us. I'm certainly very happy to be working within the NHS infrastructure. One of my great joys is training other doctors to be better doctors. I take great pleasure in that because if you're training other doctors to be better doctors, they're giving better quality healthcare. And that's my real passion. I've gotten to a point where as an individual, I can do so much service delivery, see so many patients per day. But to me, I'm more about health education, the broader network, building things. That's so important. I think your father's story and your story is important, especially for the younger generation now. Don't worry about trajectory. Keep going. Keep to your core values. Keep trying and good things will happen and you will affect society positively. Exactly. And you have to stay positive. It is so easy to get worn down or feel beat down and then give into that internal negativity that may also come from outside. You will always face barriers and resistances and pushbacks. And really, I feel like life is constantly trying to teach you something. And you, all you have to do is, in some ways, listen to the people around you, but also have the ability to throw yourself into as many different environments as possible, to have as many different experiences as possible, to hear as many different stories as possible. Because the more of these things you do, the more stories you hear, the more you learn, the more you understand the better your integrated view of life becomes and, and then the easier it becomes to navigate life. Uh, that's just my general view. We're going to go to a song now. So Belinda Carlisle, Heaven is a Place on Earth. Kappa, why did you choose this song? I believe heaven is the place that you build on earth. It's like you have to make your own heaven here on earth. You don't know what comes after this. You've just got to make the best of what you've got now. And you've got to do that for the other people around you as well. And I think this song is beautiful for that reason. And I understand, Kapil, you're dedicating that to your beautiful wife, Anu. I think she'll have a great <laughs> time hearing that. Great. There we go. Anu is also a qualified doctor, a medical doctor who practices aesthetics. So stay tuned as Kapil tells us after the next song, the basics of crypto, its basis in blockchain and how he made a fortune, lost a fortune, made a fortune. And you can do the same. Here's Belinda Carlisle.
Welcome back to Politically Correct. That was Belinda Carlisle with Heaven is a Place on Earth. So you're listening to River Radio, the, tem- the voice of the Thames Valley on web, on mobile and on Alexa. And our guest today is the polymath Dr. Kapil Amarasinghe with a real crypto democracy 101. So Kapil, what is crypto? How does it work? And then we move on to your journey in, you know, how did you get involved and what did you do? cryptocurrency is a catch-all term you know bitcoin is a cryptocurrency there are lots of different cryptocurrencies and the best way to look at it is private money so you've got public money like the pound the dollar the yen the yuan you know you name it the the australian dollar or whatever so you've got nations that have their own currencies and these are public currencies so you go to that nation and you can publicly use that currency Now, I like to think of cryptocurrencies as a form of private money, i.e. it's not money that is officially recognized or sanctioned by any given nation. So you can't go to the UK, walk into a shop and go, I've got some Bitcoin. Can I buy this with Bitcoin? Well, you can't go to a a Forex branch or the post office and say, I'd like to convert these Bitcoin into so many pounds because they've not set up their infrastructure to do that. Nevertheless, an alternative economy has arisen whereby, because it is possible to convert these cryptocurrencies into real money using various portals and platforms, Coinbase, Toro, there's a couple, if you go look, if you Google these, you'll, you'll find them because you can convert them into actual fiat because there are entities that will accept them. I think what you're saying is that actually we should ignore the fact that there's the word crypto there. It is just a currency. For example, towns in the US, the towns even in England have suggested creating their own currency, which is paper money and using that and swapping it for goods. It just happens that with cryptocurrency, we're doing it in a more technologically advanced way, which allows us a number of benefits. It's actually just something that exists electronically. That's exactly it. It's a form of electronic money. Why do we need electronic money? Why can't we just stick to pieces of metal as we have done for thousands of years beforehand if you think about how money is currently transmitted mostly it's actually done electronically already so if, if you look you know online banking if you look at how exchanges are settled they're all done using mostly online systems uh, and the physical exchange of of paper money it, it's mostly slight shifts in where they're stored physically why do you need electronic money why do you need cryptocurrency so the key things, the key difference between cryptocurrency and other forms of electronic money and indeed physical money is the level of transparency and accountability that they provide. If you look at the original cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, it's basically just a public ledger of transactions. It's a book that just says Bitcoin has gone from this Bitcoin address to this Bitcoin address. And then you'll get another transaction next line down. Bitcoin's gone from this address to this address. Or next line, this much Bitcoin's gone from this address to this address. It's just a ledger of transactions. What you're saying is that it's the ultimate accounting tool that allows people to go in and track every single thing that's ever happened. That is exactly what is the case with Bitcoin. Now, the funny thing is when Bitcoin came out, because those lines of transactions were just random. They looked like random strings of numbers and letters. They looked like incomprehensible garbage to most people just reading it. But actually, because of the way it flows, it was initially promoted as a 
as an anonymous way of transmitting money, but that's actually the better term is pseudo anonymous because actually when forensics experts started getting involved, they were like, oh yeah, you can start with this transaction and okay, you can see how it goes to that transaction. You can go to that transaction. So actually that ledger is very publicly viewable within the case of Bitcoin. You've got that layer of accountability and transparency with the blockchain, but also you've got verification. You know that every transaction on Bitcoin has happened once. You can't try to fake transactions on that ledger. It's not possible. So Uh, can you actually create counterfeit Bitcoin? Is that possible? The the way it's set up, it is near on physically impossible to create counterfeit transactions in, in, in that ledger that is bitcoin there it is possible but the cost to do so would be so huge in terms of the computing power required that it's just not physically worth it we could actually have a safe and stable currency with greater levels of accountability that doesn't sound like it's going to be attractive for criminals but could be very attractive for world economic growth yeah yeah it is and this is actually why a lot of the sovereign nations such as the UK, US, Australia etc and China they're all looking at digitizing their currencies and putting them into a form that's this uses the same underlying technology that bitcoin does which is essentially a public ledger that is verified by essentially can be verified by anyone. I I don't know if if governments will allow anyone to verify their respective blockchains, but actually that's the entire point of the, and I use the term blockchain, sorry, that's the underlying technology that underpins Bitcoin and all cryptocurrencies. And and to sort of explain that a blockchain is just a continuous ledger with logs of transactions that are split into blocks. Uh, And these blocks of transactions are sort of linked to each other via signatures and the signatures that link each block of transactions, they're created by people who basically use their computing power to verify and process the transactions that are occurring on that blockchain. So this is the ultimate in two-step authentication, if you like. Yeah, pretty much. Anyone can essentially download the relevant software to verify and process transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain and they just have to then signal their computers to start using resource to do that processing power and why would anyone do that this is what bitcoin mining is basically the reward for processing transactions on the bitcoin blockchain um, is a reward in a small amount of bitcoin the, the native token of that chain this is the incentive which is that those blockchains if you process their transactions and verify their transactions. If you direct your computer to do so, you are rewarded in the native token of that blockchain. That is effectively, it gives you cryptocurrency. Are you saying that processing transactions verification by the public is actually really an important factor that has to be occur? And so there is a demand for people to process blockchain transactions. Yeah. Yeah. We almost have a responsibility as citizens to be involved in helping to process and verify blockchain transactions because it's um, it's actually contributing to a stable and more secure currency system. Yes. So if we're using this system of currency, it is reliant and dependent on mass participation to ensure integrity. The level of integrity within these networks increase as the level of participation increases. And the more participation there is, the harder it becomes 
to forge transactions, to forge signatures, as it were. I'd never really realized that. I'd always looked upon miners as people, try, you know, pe- people trying to uh, grab some of the gold that's going around. But now I see it in a completely different light. How many different types of blockchain or cryptocurrencies are there that people could potentially sign up for? It's, it's so funny, that history. In 2012, there was Bitcoin. In 2016, there was about 100. Today, I would count at least 2,000. <laughs> it's actually probably closer to 5,000. Yeah, that's rather bewildering. So which would you point listeners to as perhaps being the ones that are more likely to emerge as the most reliable forms? The already dominant emergent blockchains that I would pay attention to from a technological viewpoint. Bitcoin is essentially the proof of concept in terms of digital gold. That's the original, uh, and that's still the most popular and well-known cryptocurrency. One of the most important emerging ones, and it's actually in terms of market cap and valuation, it's only one rank below Bitcoin. It's called Ethereum. And that one is extremely interesting because they've taken that ledger of transactions, but what they've also done is create something called smart contracts. So you can actually build little programs that create conditional contracts, which will execute on that blockchain. And they allow you to do complex financial functions that allow you to then automate processes that in traditional finance would have potentially required lots of middlemen, but in Ethereum don't. We're going to be going on to issues of the benefits and the problems and where we need legislation and opportunities for for listeners in another show because uh, there's so much for people to understand just as a basis so we've got bitcoin and ethereum what else is there are there any others or are those the really the the, the two key, key ones those are the two biggest cryptocurrencies by far if you look at the daily trading volume market cap general network effects and developer base, and in terms of actual applications. Other projects that have been heavily promoted within this space, at least in the last two years, certainly would be projects like Cardano, Solana. I'm very reluctant to talk about a lot of these other projects because a lot of them are just flash in the pan. There'll be, and this goes down into investment strategies, which we'll come to in a bit. Another project that I find amazingly interesting, and it's worth learning how this works, is called MakerDAO. I don't have any holdings in the MakerDAO network, by the way. I think academically, if you can get your head around that, how that works, you're basically on your way to understanding the concept of decentralized finance and then understanding how these technologies can basically remove 90% of middlemen from our existing financial ecosystem. Uh, And then you'll see the value these systems provide. So that's one worth learning about in your own time. So I've got to jump in here and say, I mean, it is worth just declaring what your interests are here, because I think your interests are probably fairly modest compared to someone like Elon Musk, who I was fairly critical of for trying to move the market by saying that uh, Tesla were investing in this stock or making a comment about that stock, which completely distorted the market. I only hold two projects, Ethereum, which I've mentioned, because I believe in the value of decentralized finance, which that ecosystem is basically that you know the active ecosystem is basically built on ethereum right now and it will continue to be for the ongoing future it has huge amounts of national international support global support there are a lot of government projects that are running on it i think switzerland i think they t- trialed issuing a bond on that blockchain a swiss bond 
effectively. So there's a there, there's so many exciting things going on in the Ethereum ecosystem. The other token that I hold, it's in a project called Particle. That's P-A-R-T-I-C-L. There's no E on the end. And that is a project that I'm extremely passionate about. I'm an advisor on it. I'm involved in communications with it. We're going to take another break now. We're going to listen to Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling and hopefully... Dr. Kapilomarasinghe will be telling you how you can actually make a significant amount of money and also be involved in changing the future. And we'll leave you, of course, dancing on the ceiling. Kapil, with that terrible segue, tell me why you've chosen this song. I have been a millionaire twice. And the first time, watch my net worth go from 1 million to 80,000. It's taught me a lot about how these markets work, by the way. I got into Ethereum extremely early. And I still think Ethereum, by the way, has considerable room to grow from where it is. But I got in very early. And I started off with a very low, high four-figure sum in GBP terms. And I was dancing on the ceiling that night. Paper portfolio had gone up by more than the salary of our chief exec, which was just funny. For your enjoyment, people. Now here's Lionel Richie with Dancing on the Ceiling. But stay tuned as we listen to Dr. Kapu tell us what he learned about, about how to make money from crypto. Here's Lionel.
Lionel Richie, we're dancing on the scene. And if you're just joining us, where have you been? We've been talking Crypto Democracy 101. Not a simple thing, but a profound thing. But if you've missed anything, you can listen again at river.radio or pick up the download, the Apple, the podcast, not just Apple, but the podcast of the show from Apple, Google, Spotify, or Deezer. So welcome back. We've been talking to Dr. Kapil Marasinga, who's an emergency doctor and also a very successful investor in Bitcoin and blockchain. Something that he sees as having great potential for the future, not just for money, but for the way we do life with openness and honesty. Kapil, how did you get involved in Bitcoin and what strategy did you adopt? Okay, so... Yeah, going back, I was aware of Bitcoin in 2012. Uh, I read the white paper. It just came randomly through some of the channels that I was using because I was quite interested in tech and technology at the time. Uh, I have a fairly entrepreneurial background, which I won't go into, but I looked at it, thought this thing was going to go exponentially huge. I said, yeah, I need to put a couple of grand into this. This is back, by the way, when it was like $10 to $30. And I sat every day for a year uh, and I'd hesitated because I looked at the website and I looked at all these wallet options. I was actually really put off. They would give you these warnings. If you use this technology, it's not as secure. But then if you use this technology, it's the most secure. But then you have to do this and this. And there was so much to it. And I was like, okay, I can see this is going to go big, but I was just a bit hesitant about actually, if I'm going to drop a, if I'm going to drop five grand into this, actually, what am I doing? Uh, and, I'd, you know, it was a few offhand comments by a chartered accountant who said, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. And I'd spoken with another guy who's sort of heavy in finance. So that kind of put me off. But I did keep an eye on it. I said, yeah, I'll get around to it. A year passed by. And I, when I saw it initially, I was like, I said, in a year, this will go to $1,000. And literally 12 months later, it was trading $1,200 on, on yeah. MT Gox. And I cried that day because I hadn't bought any. And I'd literally worked a night shift in a, in a local hospital and I just finished it and I just cried on the ride home because I was like, if I'd put that 5k in, I would have had at least a half a million totally ignored cryptocurrency for the next three years, just got on with doing various other bits and things. Random article popped up in my inbox one day. I think it was by Varuni Vera. I think it was a Vox article. It was about Ethereum. I read about it. They explained the concept of smart contracts. And I thought, because of some of the entrepreneurial activities that I'd done, one of the lessons I'd learned was um, that anything that essentially brings convenience into a person's life brings value. And anything that can remove layers of settlement, I, I understood that smart contracts would remove middlemen from traditional financial services. And I thought this is a valuable platform and technology. And I'd seen what Bitcoin had done and literally the exact same intuition and thought but the gut feeling, the, the alarm went off in my head. Oh, my God. OK, right. Let's not repeat the same mistake that I made in 2012. Let's just go head in. And I put around one sixth of my savings. Don't spend more than you can afford to lose. If it's highly dependent on what your outgoings and expenses are, do not do that ever. Don't take more risk than you have to. But I basically took a calculated risk, put this money, and I said, fine. I reckon in, this is 2016, sort of mid-2016, I put that. And literally, how did I do it? I Googled, how do I buy this thing? 
<laughs> so what options are there to actually buy a currency? And let's use Ethereum just as an example. In 2016, if, if you Googled, how do I buy Ethereum? It would point you to various websites, cryptocurrency exchanges like Kraken, Coinbase, Bitrex, I think at that time, Poloniex, where you could basically do a bank transfer and then you would convert that in their network to a cryptocurrency using their exchanges like forex exchanges basically i think now there are big service providers you know like coinbase so coinbase.com they they are based in the us they're listed publicly on us exchanges for trading of their shares they comply with lots of the regulations and, and literally you know with a with something like a coinbase account you can do a credit or debit card purchase you have an account you log in and you just do your purchase with your debt credit or debit card or do a bank transfer. And then you can start acquiring crypto, as it were. Another exchange is Binance. And even though they've had some regulatory issues with the UK recently in terms of offering futures, which they shouldn't have been doing at that point, there's still a huge currency exchange. Does it matter where these exchanges are based? So Coinbase sounds like it's a US company. Yeah. Does it matter if it's a UK or US? Because we've obviously got a UK audience here. It, it So it really does matter that these companies that you use are based in certain jurisdictions. So the US is a really good jurisdiction for those companies to be listed in because the level of financial scrutiny and the level of regulation that legitimate companies are subject to there is extremely high. So the chances of you getting ripped off are that much lower. Now, Coinbase does have entities that are based in the UK. So you can use Coinbase in the UK. I'm not doing an advert for Coinbase. I'm just saying that is an example. Yeah. We just, like, we've hmm. put up, we've transferred our money from our bank account into Coinbase and we've bought currency or a blockchain or cryptocurrency at a certain rate. At this point, it's just like buying stocks and shares. Then what happens? Yeah. You purchase your cryptocurrency and you sit around and wait for a while and try not to stare at the charts every day because it will either go up or down in value. And every day you look at it, within a day, you can see it go up a few percentage points and down a few percentage points. Over a week, you might see it go up you know, a bunch more percentage points and down more percentage points. In a day, seeing volatility of 5% is completely normal. When you say volatility, what you mean by that is that the price can go up and down and don't be worried about it going up and down. Take a long view, is that what you're saying? What's your strategy? The way I simply approach this is I get in super early, identify good, honest projects where there is clear integrity, where you can identify the track record of the team, ideally. You can look at who they're in partnership with, particularly the kinds of firms. For me, you want to make sure you're involving yourself in a project that's already listed on a well-known exchange. I put my money in and I just write it out. And I have gone through phases where I've dabbled in other cryptocurrencies. And this is before 2018, because HMRC from 2018 onwards, they put out guidance saying that your trades are subject to tax. So you need to be aware of that. Capital gains tax applies on trades if, if you start actively trading cryptocurrencies very regularly. So for every single trade, it's potentially a taxable event. So prior to 2018, I did get involved in, in trying to trade the volatility on various coins. So you'd sit there and go, yeah, okay, I think it's going to do this. 
and it either does it or it doesn't, or you're chasing pumps. So the, the price might start going up very rapidly and you might put some in and then it keeps going up and then it's up to you whether you take profit. I will tell you right now, most of the losses I sustained were in active trading or attempting to do day trading or intraday trading, which is executing multiple trades per day or not exiting positions when I was in clear profit or not taking profit when the opportunity was available to me because I bought into tokens that I clearly did for projects that I didn't actually believe in or didn't think had any inherent value. And they'd gone up and I just thought, oh yeah, I'll keep going up. But actually when you learn how this stuff works, you realize that a lot of cryptocurrency projects, there's a lot of market manipulation involved. There's a lot of smarter traders than you, believe it or not. So if I was to summarize, what you've just said to me is buy and hold. Hmm. Watch out for the fact that every time you trade, not so much when you buy, but certainly when you sell, that there will be a taxable transaction there and capital gains tax would apply. So the more often you trade, the more transactions you're going to have to account for to HMRC. Yeah. Okay. I, I personally do not recommend novices trade cryptocurrency markets. That's my personal view. I think there's considerable risk. The volatility is huge. That is repeatedly stated by the financial services authority. I completely understand why, because these markets, they can emotionally manipulate you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so going back to your, the strategy, what you're saying is, is, is so far is that you take some money, money that you can afford to lose. You invest it in a currency, Ethereum or um, Bitcoin or some other currency. But mm. before you choose your currency, make sure you understand the basis of the team that's creating that currency, because that's very important for security for the long-term future for your money. Do we just keep on buying new items? So my personal view on this is you need to have a strict view on when to take profit and certainly to recover your principal. So if you are fortunate enough to have made a wise investment, especially at this particular stage of the market cycle, because If you look at the trends, we're in an upswing and in a big one that's been ongoing for about a year. And I think there's still momentum. But I think if you're getting involved at cryptocurrency at this stage, in this particular cycle of cryptocurrencies market run, then you need to have a very clear mind. A simple rule to follow is if the value of your asset doubles, sell half because you get your initial principal back and whatever's left over, that's profit. And then if that keeps going up in value, great. If it goes down in value, you're not really making any huge loss. When you invest in something like Coinbase, you put your money in there, you get options as to which currencies you can actually buy into. Or does each each exchange only offer one type of cryptocurrency? Each exchange offers a, a selection. Most exchanges will offer Bitcoin and Ethereum and the big cryptocurrencies things like cardano solana gosh you know dogecoin ripple these are you know if you sign up to any cryptocurrency exchange those are common to all of them and then there are some exchanges which offer a much wider variety of cryptocurrencies i know binance allows you to trade in all kinds of projects that a lot of other exchanges don't if you look at different exchanges you'll see what they're trading it's very much up to you A lot of people won't necessarily understand this, but they want to participate. Where can they go to for advice as to which might be the reliable cryptocurrencies because they've got a good and highly integrous team of people pushing the whole technology forward? Useful resources website-wise, coinbureau.com, Cointelegraph, 
These are good. Breaking Bitcoin, that's with Justin Wise. He's a good guy to follow. Um, so the Breaking Bitcoin podcast, that's a, that's a decent one. If you want to get good advice, just go to the Particle Discord or Telegram chats, because that's where I float around. If you wind up going into the Particle Discord or Particle Telegram chat, you will basically have the opportunity to talk to me one-on-one most days of the week. I'm a very easy person to reach. And that forum is full of polymaths. They're full of some of the smartest minds in this space, and they will give you honest advice and opinions. And yes, you get the usual bits bickering from time to time, but the level and the quality of information you'll get, if you want to learn liquidity, how markets work, how this whole thing works, just go to the Particle Discord or Telegram channels and just sit there and observe and ask questions. And you you can ask for any of us by name. We're really upfront and honest. How can people get involved or how do they reach that So, I mean, if you downloaded the Discord app or the Telegram app, find the Particle, P-A-R-T-I-C-L, the Particle project. If you go into those channels, then you'll effectively get access to us. So we have to specifically download an app as opposed to typing in Particle project on Google. You, You can Google Particle project and you'll go to the website and it'll tell you more about that project and that that... I will save almost as for, for the next, for any follow-up talk, but that project, it also has all the relevant links, gotcha. uh, social media links, but actually the channels that are most active within those social media links on a day-to-day basis are the Discord and Telegram channels. They're essentially merged. So you can use either app and you'll get the same channels and you'll get the same people and it'll be the same streams of information. It's, it's an open channel. Just don't be rude to anyone. Just be polite and nice. And observe the basic decorum. So how much money have you made? And are there still gains to be made for newbies? I do believe there are ongoing gains to be made in this cycle. So I, I look at cryptocurrency as a series of cycles. That's what I've learned. I started off in 2016 putting in a sum that was 14,000 US dollars. Pre-tax, it's now worth $3.3 million. And that is essentially using a buy and hold strategy with F, i.e. using my own personal way of getting into things. And that's also accounting for the losses that I made doing trading with projects that I didn't have thought had much value to them as well. There's lots of details if you ask. Is there money to be made? I will tell you and I will be upfront. This is not financial advice. None of this, by the way, should be taken as financial advice. This is just me expressing my own viewpoint. I believe Ethereum, it currently trades at 400, 500. If you look at the space and you read around, I think you'll see a lot of the pundits are saying for 10K for Q1 of 2022. So that's a lot of the punditry. And actually I buy into that. I think when it hits 10K, I will be inclined to sell around 25% of my core holdings. But I will still hold the other 75 because I believe using my own analysis that it will go up considerably. I have a target of around thirty to $60,000 for F, which I believe could occur in July of, of, of next. Now, people think that's most people, lots of people think that's ridiculous. Uh, and I'm, again, operating from a risk management point of view, because for me, if I were to exit with 25%, that would be, that would be a seven-figure sum. But my point being is there is ongoing room for growth, but we are already in the middle of a bull cycle. I believe personally that there is some upside, considerable potential upside, but that may not be realized. What I would say is if anyone happens to be buying cryptocurrencies over the next nine months, 
my own view, if I was buying cryptocurrencies over the next nine months, I would have a very aggressive strategy about taking profit and getting principal and not getting overly involved past a certain point in time. But I will only actually sell 50% at most. That's my intention. So there's a point I'll sell 25%. And there's another point, which I think will be the true peak, which will be another 25%. But as per risk management, if I sell at the first layer, that first 25% will have me covered personally. Let's talk about cashing out. How do we do it? Because I talk about cashing out for, for this reason, that at the moment, you can't spend a lot of this money very easily. You, you might be able to buy a Tesla. You can't necessarily buy a house. You can't spend your money down at the local supermarket. So at some stage, you have to convert it into pounds, shillings and pence. That's showing my age, by sure. the way. So firstly, whilst, whilst that's true, what you've said, actually, there are now technologies that allow you to buy and sell, uh, create marketplaces and, and list goods to trade in cryptocurrencies. Uh, again, Particle being an example. If you've got some cryptocurrency in a Coinbase account, it's literally sell to pounds. Then it will convert those to pounds in Coinbase or whichever exchange. That's a, As long as you are exchange that you're using, as long as the cryptocurrency exchange that you use supports fiat currencies, i.e. the pound, the dollar, that means at any point in that exchange, in, in that website or that portal, you can just go a few clicks of a button, right? I've sold my Ethereum. Oh, okay. I've got these pounds now. And then you just withdraw it to your bank. Now, have there been any problems with transferring that cash to UK bank accounts? So have banks refused? So Barclays has given issues in the past, I believe. So with some of the cryptocurrency exchanges, they've had issues with their payment processes. I know there are certain banks that have been hesitant to get involved with cryptocurrencies. So if you are notifying your bank that you are trading cryptocurrencies, then some of them will not be friendly to you. So before you start trading, ask your bank, in fact, ask all the banks that mm. you have an account with as to which of those will be happy for you to be trading. So you've got a place to transfer the money. Yeah. Otherwise, certainly when you're dealing with much larger sums, there are much different considerations to take into effect. So I, I think, yeah, just ask. Banks are much friendlier now than they were a few years ago, but there are still you know, some that have their reservations. Yeah. I think HMRC probably will be important in that. If they're willing to tax it and take your money, I'm sure the banks will be happy to take them yeah. as well. Yes, yes, exactly. Couple but yeah, I, I think. We're going to take a break now and we're going to play Alice in Wonderland and Easy. Kappa, what did you choose this? Having been through the ups and downs of cryptocurrency cycles, that song is actually about depression. And it's very much about being depressed and being, you know, the, the kind of difficulty of someone trying to engage with a depressed person. And certainly I've had my periods of feeling low. As I, as if you were listening closely at one point, I saw my net worth go from a seven figure sum to a five figure sum, literally through the bear market. But never mind that, all the different stresses that a person can endure in their day-to-day -day life. But, you know, when, when you're mentally dealing with big financial losses, even if they're just paper and technically imaginary, you know, you're always thinking about the what could have been and, you know, what you are doing. And sometimes life's not easy. And sometimes it's just nice to relate to that and to engage with that feeling, because sometimes that's what you need to do to get through it is to engage with that feeling and work through it constructively. 
So if you're experiencing any difficulties, reach out to your GP or friend. Don't suffer in silence. But stay tuned because after the break, we'll be talking about the many ways that crypto and blockchain can affect our world and how you can get involved and be ready. So here's Alison Wonderland and Easy. Paint a picture of the world that I see instead And I know it's bullshit They say I'm not really that bad But I think too much and I'm scared I'm never coming back yeah. Walked into the bathroom just so I could cry I wish I knew Welcome back. We've been talking to Dr. Capital Mara Singer on Politically Correct on River Radio. Remember, River Radio is available on web, mobile, and Alexa. So, Dr. 
Capella Mara Singer is a bit of a polymath and he's been telling us about growing up in the UK, his role in the NHS and his growing command of crypto and, and blockchain. Capel. How people getting involved in Bitcoin and blockchain and how they can make money and perhaps some of the strategies that might work because they've worked for you. But of course, there are other strategies and there are other magazines, publications that they can go to and should go to for advice and guidance. Next week, we're going to be talking about the impact of blockchain and cryptocurrency. We spent a lot of time setting up the basis, but the implications for society and the way humans do business, do work, do life are, could be quite huge. Some of the points that could come up in the future could be sharing of medical data, non-fungible transaction marketplaces, musical royalties, tracking. I could go on, but I think there's four of the key ones that you've highlighted to me, Kapala, direct democracy, real estate processing, confidential buying and selling, or DeFi, and company financing and investing with e-commerce. Or maybe I've got those two the wrong way around. You mix them up, but yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, we'll also be looking at, so this is some of the positive side. And next week, we'll also be talking about perhaps some of the negative sides of cryptocurrency and blockchain. So the areas where we need some level of legislation, which is why this subject is on politically correct. And we need to be aware of this now so that we don't walk into the future blindfolded. So tell us more in a, in, in a one sentence, because we'll cover this in much more detail next week. Direct democracy, real estate processing, confidential buying and selling and company financing and investing. The big one for me, my main interest is the transition from representative democracy to a model of direct democracy. This is possible using our current technologies if, if we build them in a certain way. Yeah. And okay. we're moving towards that being viable now. I feel with our representative structures, it's multiple people delegate to one person who then we hope votes and represents our view. D direct democracy specifically in the sense of one person, one issue, one vote to essentially enable greater engagement and greater empowerment for individuals within a democratic sphere and to enable that to be done in a much more private manner. Direct democracy, for me, that's one person, one issue, one vote. These okay. technologies can enable direct democracy. With real estate, tokenization of real estate. So rather than one person owns a building or in a timeshare structure, 12 people own a building, you could literally tokenize ownership so that hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people could own a micro share of one building and then maybe make returns or dividends from the revenues that building generates. I think the most interesting ones are going to be real estate, tokenization of real estate. You already see this in virtual form with the NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which is basically yeah. tokenization of virtual assets. Uh, you'll see tokenization of real estate, tokenization of shares. So you can get micro shares. I think, again, with real estate, it's like, you know, a million people own one property in New York. You're increasing the flow of liquidity into that. So the value of that property will go up. That That's it's a separate discussion. So that's the way. And that okay. can fuel speculation in property that way. Decentralized finance, that's basically removing middlemen from a lot of the traditional processes in remittance and other areas of finance, which would effectively make it cheaper and more efficient discussed that in some length already and decentralized e-commerce which is the, the privacy centric e-commerce technologies that allow people to buy and sell goods online and create marketplaces without the need for any sort of third-party trusted middlemen and without the need to actually give any personal information 
to engage with those networks yet still transact safely and securely. E-commerce, so de-commerce is decentralized e-commerce. So it's a very interesting concept, but the the one that it's a very interesting concept and it's a difficult one to explain quickly, but the short of it is 